So uh, what I'd like to do is kind of build upon what we talked about. I'll back up to the, the title slide here, Know Your Choices. Um, I have four main goals for this morning. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are what we call a Christian or born again or a disciple of Jesus Christ, those are all different terms that we use. Um, I hope that today will be just an encouragement to you. Probably some of the things that you'll hear today, hopefully, are, are things that you are aware of and have thought through. And, and, uh, but hopefully maybe as you hear me present them, sometimes you hear somebody else present some things that kind of encourages you and you see it a little bit differently. And so hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. If you're here this morning and you are still trying to kind of figure this stuff out, you're trying to figure out who Jesus is and is that somebody to put my faith and trust in, um, hopefully this morning will be something that will help you on that journey. If you are talking to somebody as a believer and you want to share some of the things that you believe, maybe this will give you some, some framework for that as well, some things that you can use as you share your faith and the things that you believe in. And then finally, hopefully you're encouraged to know that uh, this same lesson that I'm about to present, um, I presented to the legislators in, in Austin. Um, we, had, we have a Bible study. We have, as you know, many of you know, we have different Bible studies. I have a staff Bible studies for staff members, have a Senate Bible studies just for senators, and I have a House Bible studies just for House members. And I present this to all of them. In the House Bible study in particular, though, uh, when I presented this, we had about 30, 35 house members at the time, and uh, one of them, by God's grace, uh, was a self-proclaimed, um, he called himself an agnostic Jew. In fact, he said that at the end of the lesson. He stood up and he said, he kind of looked around and goes, as the resident agnostic Jew, I'd like to say some things. And he spoke up uh, after that, and he said, I have never heard this presented this way. This is very, very interesting. He goes, I, you know, I came because I, you know, I've gotten to know Scott and I trust Scott and, and I just thought it would be interesting and, and, uh, and it, it was. I wasn't disappointed and this is interesting. And he asked me if I would come to his district sometime and talk with him more about some of this. And uh, so this is one of those things. The guy next to him <laughs> happened to be uh, a, a uh, Buddhist uh, his first time to Bible study. This is the, you understand, this is Bible study. They announce it as Bible study. This is not a gathering or let's all get together and party. This is announced as Bible study. They know that I'm a Christian. They know that I would go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It was just this day I did something a little bit different. And they happen to be here. And I say, they happen. I believe that God brought them. Uh, the Buddha stood up and he said, well, and he's very quiet. In fact, I've known him since I've been uh, working there since 2016. I feel like I've heard maybe 10 words out of his mouth. Uh, he's very, very quiet. And, uh, but he stood up and he spoke after the agnostic Jew and said, I wanted to say the same thing. He said, I came because I got to know Scott and I trust him and I want to come and, and hear him. And, and he goes, this is very interesting and I hope you can come talk to me more too. I'm like, I, I'm in. <laughs> I'll talk to anybody. Anybody that wants to hear the gospel, I'm in. Uh, and so this, this message, I thought you would be encouraged to hear what they heard as well. So what this is, is sort of a, 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 um, a log of my journey in my life, of my beliefs and, and faith and trust and what I see as true. I believe if something is true, it can withstand all the scrutiny in the world. There's no reason to fear it. There's no reason, reason to uh, fear asking questions or uh, looking at it in every which way. Sometimes people feel like, well, this is what I believe, but I don't want to look at it too carefully because then things might crumble and I want to kind of hang on to this. I don't want to hang on to it if it's not true. I want to dump it all. I want to put my trust, my life, the things that I do, why I do what I do in something that is true. And so I've spent a journey, and I'm still on that journey, and I'll probably continue this journey until I die. I trust everyone in here is on a journey. We, none of us have it all figured out. What I'm about to share is not me saying, I've figured it all out. I've got it all figured out. I got all the answers to life, and I'm going to share it with you. That is definitely not what I'm here to do. 
I'm here to say this is the journey that I have been on, that I've struggled with, that I've worked through, and this is what I've come to the conclusions about that I'd like to share with you for you to consider. I used to write a newspaper column. Some of you have told me that you wrote, read my newspaper column. Read it wrote it for oh, 10 years or so. It was in the local paper. And, and Pastor Mark just mentioned it this morning that he read that before we even met. He used to read my column. And then we ended up uh, at the Capitol together. And he realized, oh, that's the guy that was writing the newspaper column that I used to uh, write. The title of that was called Consider This. It is, I'm just offering some of my thoughts and I'm not here to tell you I have all the answers. These are the answers that I've come up with. I'd like you to consider them. So I'd like you to consider this this morning. If you just do me that, um, uh, I guess I, I'm, I'm offering this to you. You can reject it. You can accept it, whatever. But let me just share that with you. So if you're taking notes, you don't have to take notes. But if you are, sometimes it's helpful to kind of know where things are going to go. I'm going to offer you two different ideas that I have had to choose from that I think most of us have to choose from. And there's about 13 different little subjects or topics. So if you are trying to take notes, you might have two different columns. I'm going to have two different columns. I'll show you my columns. You got two different columns. One is a column that I feel like is one option. And the other column is another option that I have chosen. And I'm going to tell you why. So let me begin with this. The first is how everything began. Where did it all come from? Where did everything that I see and don't see come from? Now, I know that there are several different ideas and explanations for that. There seems to be, if I'm boiling it down to two major ideas, there are several ideas, and there are obviously different nuances to these different ideas, and I understand you could kind of dive into the weeds in each of these. I'm going to stay at the kind of upper level here as we go through this, so I, I don't want to oversimplify. I'm trying to simplify this for you and for me to be able to communicate to you kind of where I've been, and we can't go into all these in too depth. But the first, um, hey, I'm talking here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's, it's, so are you. <laughs> so am I. Uh, just kidding. It doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I got to share. One time I, I was doing a, a lesson at Magnolia Bible Church on anger, and I, I set it up to have somebody do that, and I started yelling at them like I was mad. I wasn't mad. I started yelling at them. Everybody thought it was real, and it took a while for me to convince them that it, that it wasn't real. But I was like, what are you doing? I'm preaching. I can't, you know, got real angry. I thought I did it over the top, and people recognized it, but this was not planned. Anyway, back to the beginnings. Where did everything come from? And so the two major posits that are out there for us to consider are that there was something, something, they call it a singularity, something that some small little element, something, electron-sized particle that contained all the matter and energy that we see, that eventually it exploded, and then everything that we see and don't see came from that. And so you have this particle that's been here forever. Now there's differing ideas, or maybe there's expanding and contraction universes and different things, and, uh, but somehow something had to have been at the beginning. And so we have two different things we have to decide. One is, is that something that has been here forever? Or is there a God, an eternal, all-powerful God who's here for all eternity? Now, you and I weren't there in the beginning because there's no beginning for either one of these. And so we have to take a step of faith in both of those. For me personally, when I look at those two, I struggle with the idea that a particle has been here forever that somehow some piece of matter has been here forever versus an all-powerful, eternal God. And so I lean very strongly this direction, that there's all-power. To me, it makes sense as far as the options I have to, to look at. The Bible tells us, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we have the... Bible describing this, so that's the option that I have. Now, you can reject the Bible, of course, 
but that's what the, one of the options that is laid out there. It also says in the Bible, in Colossians chapter 1, that by Jesus, by him, it's talking about Jesus, this is Colossians chapter 1, all things, everything, all things were created that are, that are in heaven, that are on earth, that are visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So that's one of my options, that everything was created by Jesus in the beginning. And it's stated, it's making a very strong statement that Jesus is God and he is the agent of creation, that he has always existed, or there's a particle Electron-sized particle that's always existed. That's one of my options. So that's the first one. Where did everything come from? Next is life. Where did life come from? One of my options is that life came from non-life. That there was no life, and then there was life. In science, we have what they call laws, like the law of gravity, which is observed. You observe something and it happens over and over and over again. So you conclude that this is, this is the way it is. So if I were to drop this, it would fall down because of the law of gravity. We see that over and over again. We've observed it, we've studied it, and we understand the law of gravity. So we have the law of gravity. They have another thing called the law of biogenesis. The law of biogenesis, bio meaning life, Genesis beginning. The law of biogenesis means, it says, that life comes from life. Everyone knows that. Every child knows that. I know that. You know that. Everyone knows life comes from life. But one of the options is I'm supposed to check my brains at the door I'm supposed to not consider what everyone knows and what I've observed and what is true and check that and believe that life came from non-life. That is one of my options. Or that this all-powerful eternal God that we were talking about, he is the one that created life. That's hard for me to grasp as well. But if those are my two options... I lean this direction. This makes more sense to me. From an intellectual pursuit, it seems more sense to go, I understand that life can't come from life, so the only way that could happen is through something miraculous, and the only thing that offers something miraculous is an all-powerful eternal God. And so that's why I would lean this direction. This is a quote by a guy named George Wald. He's a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, he says this, the sudden appearance of life is not only the most puzzling feature of the whole fossil record, but also its greatest apparent inadequacy. The fact that all of a sudden life spontaneously showed up, spontaneously generated. They call it spontaneous generation. In fact, he says, one has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Yet, here we are, as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. This is a Nobel Prize winner from Harvard University. He has chosen to believe the impossible, that life comes from non-life. And some people say that religion, Christianity, is irrational. It's illogical. How can you believe that? You must need a crutch. It's something that's, that you have to believe in that's not real. I do not want to believe in something that's not real. And for me, it's very hard for me to grasp the fact that life comes from non-life versus that we have an all-powerful God. Genesis says God created everything. He created the sea creatures, anything that moves, and everything in the water, all the winged things. He says he created uh, the beasts of the earth and the cattle and everything that creeps upon the earth. He created all that, and it was good. It says he created you and me. He created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, made him male and female. He created them. That's my option, that life comes from non-life or that God created life. For me, it makes more sense, logically, rationally, for me to go this direction, that God created everything.
Next one, order, order. When we look around at all of creation, scientists and philosophers and human beings look around and observe order. We see how things are put together. We observe through science, we try to figure out how, look at all the little pieces and parts and how does this work? How does the, the DNA work? How, how does, they're trying to figure out, you know, do the sequencing of the genome. They're, they're trying to figure out how all this stuff is put together because they see order. They see order that supposedly had come from an electron-sized particle that exploded and turned into all of this order against the law of the second law of thermodynamics that says everything is going back to a, a state of stasis that is going from order to disorder. We observe that. We understand that. I have a cabin in the woods. The cabin doesn't get nicer and better and cleaner. If it sits there over years, it gets dilapidated and falls down into nothing. We observe that over and over again, that things are going from order to disorder. But I'm required to believe, based upon this philosophy, that everything is going into order. And when we think of the order that things are, are put together, we, we're talking about complexity that we see. One of the options, one of the things that people observe, and it's not new with me, but it's, it's very interesting to contemplate, is the eyeball. And one of the reasons I think about this a lot, I have very, a lot of problems with my eyeballs. There's a whole lot of things wrong. I'm not even going to go into all the problems with my eyeballs. In fact, I was a little worried that I may not be able to see back there. I, got, I have uh, prosthetic lenses in my eyes in order to see. So I think about the eyeball a lot. According to evolution, things go from disorder to order, and that there has to be something that's worthwhile for it to stay and be passed on to the next part of your new species, whatever that is. And so in order for the eyeball to be here, you would have to have the rods and the cones and the lenses and, the, and all the, the vitreous fluid and, and everything else and, and the nerves for it to be able to be beneficial. If you don't, what do you have? Just a blob of cells that don't do anything. Why would the eyeball just pop up with all these things? That would be incredible. That, everything is supposedly with gradual changes. But when we look at the eyeball, it looks like it has to have been here. In fact, some guy you probably have heard of, a guy named Charles Darwin, he is the one that is one of the ones that really popularized this idea uh, about evolution. Let me get this better here. The origin of species, he says, to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for emitting different amounts of light, for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree possible. Yet, I believe it happened. That's where we are. I have to believe that it happened. It doesn't make any sense. There's no logical reason for it. I can't observe it. I can't duplicate it. I can't, but I am going to believe this is what happened. I have an op op option. I can believe that everything I see, the complexity, everything, is a result of random chance. It's just by accident. Or I can believe that everything I see, the complexity, everything that's out there that God created, He created because He's a creator, He has intelligence, and He designed it for a purpose and a reason. Those are my options. When I look at those two options, I have a very hard time falling down on this option that is freely admitted. It's absurd. It's impossible. Next is meaning. Meaning. Where does any kind of meaning come from? Whatever you decide to put in the, the, the rest of the sentence, the meaning of life, the meaning of anything, where does meaning come from? Why is there any kind of meaning if everything is random and everything has happened by accident, it started off with this little particle and exploded, why is there any kind of meaning at all? There should not be any kind of meaning. Is it just because I ascribe meaning to something? Maybe so. 
that has to be the explanation. Somehow I just randomly on my own do that. But why did you randomly do that? Didn't in just the particles, the brain, and, and just the electrical impulses, and that, those are all random anyway. So it's random that you even think that you're the one who's offering the meaning. There's no reason for there to be meaning. Well, the option is all is random. There's no real meaning to life or anything for that matter. Or there is meaning to life. I believe every human being in their soul of souls knows that there is meaning. I sense there's meaning. I want there to be meaning. I, I want to have a life that has meaning. I want to do something that has meaning. We are created that way, I believe. So we can, the other option is God created all of creation with meaning and purpose and that he cares. He is a part of my life and your life and all of creation. That he looks at mankind as something specific and special that he interacts with. In fact, uh, we have the atheists will say, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that. Why? Be because then we'd be held responsible. This is Aldous Huxley. is a famous atheist. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning and consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. He's made the assumption. He's looking for the reasons for that assumption. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, freedom from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. We wanted to do whatever we wanted to do. So if we have a God who cares and is paying attention and tells me this is what he created me for and I'm going against that, I don't like that. I don't want to have that kind of meaning in my life. But God says he cares about you and me. He cares about what he created. In fact, in Job, he says, Who, what is man that you, God, should exalt him, that you even care about him, that you should set your heart on him? God cares. God cares about you and me, and we have purpose and meaning, I believe. Jesus kind of expanded on our meaning and why we're here on earth. Somebody said, what's the greatest commandment? What does God want you to do? If God created you, what does he want? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. That's what I'm here for. And I believe when we act in accordance with the meaning that God has given us, that's when we have the greatest and real joy and peace and satisfaction and recognize that I am doing what I'm called to do. When we're doing this over here, that is what leads to depression and anxiety and pain and hurt because we're not doing what we were created for. But the philosophy over here says, go ahead and do it anyway. But the Bible says God loves us and he gives us meaning and purpose. Next, God. I'm talking about God so what God am I talking about? If there is a God, some people have tried to, you know, we've already talked about trying to do away with God. So if there is even get to the point of, is there a God? Is it a God? If you're going to believe there's a God, is it, is it a God that's made up by you or somebody else? Or is it the God of the Bible? I hear many people say, I choose to believe in a God who, and they fill in the blank. I believe that they are betraying the fact that in their heart, they're making up the God that they want. Who's the, who's, who's the one that's supposed to decide that? Who are we going to let decide this is the God that I decided I want to follow? I want to choose a God that doesn't say this is wrong. I want to choose a God that doesn't do this. I want to choose a guy that does do this and fill in the blank. Where are we coming up with that? Why do you get to make that decision? If there is a God, shouldn't we just look for who that God is and not make him up? 
So some will say, I don't believe in a God. But if I did, <laughs> this is the God I would believe in. Well, that's just as bad as not believing in God, I believe. Because you're making up something. You're saying, well, I just want to make up a God that, you know, is a cosmic Santa Claus that gives me whatever I want. Okay, you can make that up. But that's make-believe. I don't want to live according to make-believe. I want to follow truth, and truth leads me to the God, I believe, of the Bible. That's my other option, the God that is revealed in the Bible. So, if there is a God, and maybe we say he's the God of the, of the Bible, does he communicate with us in any way? Is he just out there? He's unknowable. He's just kind of started everything, and he's sitting back and watching. He had, he's so far out there, we can't have any kind of connection with him. Is that God? Is he not communicating in any way? I believe that's one of the options. There is a God. Somebody may come to that conclusion, but he does not communicate with his creation in any way. Or the God of the Bible is described as a God who is there, and communicates with us in some way. If you want to take that a little bit further, there is a God who communicates with the creation. I'll, I'll admit that. But then we got to say, through what? Well, the Bible says there's a God who communicates with his creation. And he does that in a couple of different ways. Through the creation itself and through the, the written word of God's word that we call the Bible and through his son, Jesus Christ. He has communicated who he is in several different ways and pretty emphatically. So I have an option. If I believe that there's a God, I can say that he doesn't communicate or I try to figure out how he communicates or I can believe that he communicates through the creation, through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. But people say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? You're using the Bible, that's circular reasoning. You're going, the Bible says this, so I believe that this, because the Bible said it. Well, when we look at the scripture, we have to decide, is the Bible true or not? You have to decide, is it, is it just, is it trustworthy? You got to start there. You can say, before we get to the point, is this really God's word? God truly breathed this? Is this inspired by God? Is it even trustworthy? If it's not trustworthy, then it can't be from this God anyway. You got to start there. But if it is trustworthy, then you better start taking the next step and wonder, is it truly God's word then? It has to meet that requirement. So we have the God, the Bible is not true or the Bible is true. When people look at scripture, sometimes they have found maybe a historical comment about a, maybe a group of people like the Hittites or somebody. There's no archaeological evidence for Hittites, they said. So Hittites didn't live. They weren't around. They weren't, it was just a fanciful thing. It's something that's in the Bible. It's not true. And as time went on, they started finding some archaeology. It points to the Hittites. In fact, they found out it was one of the largest groups of people ever. Like, okay, well, all right, we were wrong on that. We thought that was, you no, know, we thought we caught the Bible on that one. I'm not going to sit here and list all of those. You can see it over and over and over again. You can go through many times through science, through geology, through history. The Bible is not a science book. It's not a math book. It's not a history book. It's not, it has those things in it. And it has been shown to be true and accurate over and over and over again. People talk about different contradictions or something that they come up with. And then we find out, oh, well, I was wrong on that. Oh, I was wrong on that. In fact, one time I was in a bookstore and there was a book that said 1,001 Contradictions of the Bible. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to take that home and go through this. This will be, you know, something that will be very challenging for me. And, and again, I told you, if something is true, it can withstand all the scrutiny in the world. And if it's not true, I'm ready to dump it. And I thought, let me, let me just go through this. I'm ready to dump Christianity if it's not true. I pulled the book off the shelf and started looking at some of the stuff. It was stupid. It was, it was not even worth my time. It was things that somebody was making up, saying things that were outlandish, putting stuff in there. I'm like, I, I was kind of excited to have some kind of intellectually challenging thing that I could go through, and I put the book back up on the shelf. It wasn't even worth my time. Now, I will admit there are some challenging things that are out there. I like to look at those things and decide, is this real? Is this true? Is it accurate? But that was not it. The more I have looked at God's Word... And I, I started when I was young, like almost every young child, asking questions. Why is the sky blue? 
Why is the grass green? Any question you can come up with. I asked my dad, who's sitting back there on the back corner, he can confirm this. I asked him over and over again, question after question after question. I believe he thought, someday he will grow out of it, like most kids. I still am asking questions. I still ask him questions. I, I want to know I want to know. I just want to know. I want to know truth. I want to know real. I want to understand. And so I ask questions. I've been asking questions, and there was a time in my life uh, where it was one of the hardest times of my life where I thought, I wonder if I grew up in India, would I be Hindu? Or if I grew up in China, would I be Buddhist? Or whatever. If I grew up somewhere else, but I grew up in America, so that's why I'm a Christian. And so I started asking questions, and it was one of the hardest times. I didn't want to talk to Dad at that point. I didn't want him to give me his answers. It was kind of lonely because I needed to find answers on my own. I took a, a comparative religion class. I went to different uh, churches. I would talk to different uh, religions and asking questions, and I wanted to find truth. I wanted to, know, I wanted to put my life in the trajectory of truth, whatever that is. It was very difficult for me because I, I felt like I kind of had to separate from all my friends, from my family, from people that, that I had kind of at my world because I needed to get away from that to look at this. As I did, many of the things just sort of crumbled pretty quickly and easily. I mean, it just is so irrational. It was just made up fairy tale stuff. Some of the things, some of the philosophies and religions, they had a little bit more substance to them, and so I spent more time looking at those. Whoops. This is uh, set for Pastor Mark's ear. I think our ears are different, sorry. Um, and as I looked at those, I thought, well, I need to look at Christianity the same way. And so I started looking at Christianity every which way I could, flipping it upside down, looking inside, looking outside, asking all the questions. And the more I did, the more Christianity and the claims of Christianity stood, withstood all the scrutiny, and these other things began to crumble even more and more and more. And so I put my life in this direction because I believe it to be true. And I don't believe it to be true just because I want it to be true. I don't believe it to be true because I need it to be true. I believe it to be true because I've looked at it and it seems to be the most rational explanation for the things that I see and observe and I experience myself. And so when I look at the Bible, I look at a document that is true. The Bible mentions a guy named Jesus. So I can either believe that Jesus is not who he said he was, or I can believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus, people have said, he's, he's a good guy. He's a, maybe a prophet. He's a good teacher. He's a religious guy. There's a lot of other good religious guys out there. and You just take, take the good stuff that Jesus said and take the good things that these other religious people have said and put them together and kind of come up with your own religion. I'm not sure why that's the right idea. I'm not sure who, why I get to decide what's right and wrong and which one's the best, but that's what people say. Was Jesus just a good man? Was Jesus just a prophet? Well, C.S. Lewis has a famous argument I'm sure you've heard of. I want to remind you of it. He says, I want to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, about him. I'm ready to, quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. He says, this is foolish. You can't say that he's a great moral teacher. Why? He says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be crazy because he's claiming to be God and he's claiming to raise himself from the dead. He's claiming that he's the only way to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He's claiming that he's the only way to the Father. These are crazy things. So he was either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Because if he is not the Son of God, he is not the way to heaven, he's not the way to have forgiveness of sins, he is lying, he is dragging people to hell, he is leading people down the wrong path, he has lied to them, deceived them, and made them follow him knowing that he was not who he said he was. So he can't be a good person. That's what lunatics do. That's what 
people in cults do that take you down a path that's a lie. So he would be on the same par as David Koresh or somebody like that who is taking you down that path. So he cannot be a good moral person or maybe he could be a lunatic. But he says we must make our choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He did not intend to just come across as a great moral teacher. He laid it out there. He put everything on the line, and you have to make a decision to follow him or not. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way. That's the only way. That's the only way. That's what he said. That's the only way. You don't have other options. You can't pick another religion and go, well, that's okay. Take that one. Take that. He did not leave that open. People say this is uh, closed-minded. This is closed-minded. How could, how could you believe a religion that's so close-minded like this? We do many things that are closed-minded. If I were to tell you, in order to call me, you have to dial 281-382-4546. And you say, that's kind of closed-minded, Scott. I'd like to dial these other numbers. <laughs> okay, go ahead. But that's not how you're going to get me. That's not how you're going. If I say, I want to turn these lights on, so I'm going to bang on this. That's not, you go to the switch. That's how it happens. That's how it works. If you say, I want to start the car by patting myself on the head, it doesn't, you got to put the key in or push the button. It's the way it works. Jesus said, this is the way it works. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, as long as you got other religions or other good things, those are good ways too. I'm a way. I'm a good way. I'm a, one of the better ways. He didn't say any of that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I have a choice. Jesus is not who he said he was, or Jesus is who he said he was. We're going to come back to this meaning. I told you that God created us with meaning. We can either choose that what we think and what we say, what we do, and the choices that we have have no real meaning, or we can choose that the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do, we have real purpose and meaning. Ecclesiastes says part of our purpose and meaning is the whole conclusion of the matter. Here it is. He said it from the very beginning. He said, I have tried everything. The author of Ecclesiastes said, I was rich. I could try anything. I could try. I built stuff. I had wives. I had everything that any horse person would want. It was all meaningless. Let me, he says, let me give you the conclusion of the whole thing. Fear God, the God who created you, and do what he says. For this man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. God cares about us. He said, this is what I created for you. For you, This is what I want you to do. And if you do this, this is, this is what I created you for, and you will have fulfillment. If you decide to go your own way, you're not. It seems like the creator would know if he truly is the creator. Next, eternity. We're almost done here. Eternity. Either... If everything just came from nothing, came from a little singularity and kind of exploded and everything, who we are will cease to exist as we're nothing more than just a physical matter and just uh, neurochemical processes that are going on. That's all we are. That's all we are. We'll just, we die, we become worm dirt, that, worm food. That's it. Or, like most people, I believe, have a sense inside them that I am more than just random electrical impulses going on in the brain. There's something more here. People who aren't Christians will say, you know, I hope that someday I'll go see my, you know, my dead loved one somewhere and I'll, I'll be in a better place with them or, or something. They, they have this sense that there's something more. So my other option is that who we are, we don't cease to exist. That there is something that is besides this physical matter that is immaterial. There's something that makes me who I am as a person. I'm different than a rock. 
I'm different than a tree. There's something different about me, and there's, that's the immaterial part. So I have a choice. And when I look at rocks and trees and I look at you people, I see something different. And when I look at myself, I sense something different. And so I have that option. I can choose that everything just turns into nothing or there is something immaterial and there's eternity. This is what Paul said. Paul said, he talks about this. If, this, if there's not something immaterial, if there's not something that lives on, there's not resurrection from the dead, he said, this is all worthless. He says, for if the dead do not rise and Christ is not risen, you know, he didn't rise, if no one rises and he didn't rise, he said, and if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died already, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. He is saying, I'm pitiable. You should pity me if this is all there is. If there's no resurrection, it ends. You die, that's it. Because we're preaching that Jesus is the way to have eternal life, to live eternally with him, to have that immaterial go be with God. And if that's not true then pity us because there's nothing else after this. Emotion and virtues. Let me go through this quickly. This is just, to me, just a, 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 something that's something I've kind of just thought through and mulled over, just thinking of the different things that we, we say as humans that we have, the, the different explanation for why are, things, why are things funny? Why is there laughter? Why is there even sadness? Why, is, why can I appreciate beauty? Why is there justice or mercy or love or sacrifice? Any of the things that we experience, if everything is just a random choice of uh, something that is, there's no uh, intellect that's there, there's no intellectual thing that's behind it, and all this stuff has just happened, where does that come from? It doesn't really help in the natural selection of things for me to look at a sunset and go, wow, that's amazing. Why can I appreciate a sunset? Why can I appreciate beauty? Why do I understand sacrifice? That doesn't make any sense from uh, uh, trying to perpetuate me and my species to be the guy that jumps on the hand grenade to save my, my friends. We honor that. We recognize there's something different. There is something within us that we understand that the emotion and the virtues and everything else is something that I believe that came from a personal living God. So that leads to commitment. Commitment. We have a choice. I can commit to living a life over here that is with no real purpose, no real meaning. There's nothing I'm accountable to. There's no person, no anything that I'm accountable to. I can live my life according to that, which... I believe when we observe it when people do that, there is chaos and pain and death. When we live a life that way, or I can commit to living my life by fulfilling what God called me to do, what he created me to do, the purpose that God's given me. Thomas Nagel, another atheist philosopher, said this, I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. It's a choice. It's a decision. He recognizes there are thinking people who have observed and thought through this and come to the conclusion that Christianity and all the things that go along with Christianity, that who Jesus Christ is, what he did, how he lived his life, why he died on the cross, why he rose again, what that means for you and me, and what it means for eternity. People believe that. People he, he recognizes are smart people. They've looked at it. He's like, I'm over here, and I just don't want that to be true. I just don't want it to be true. It, could be, but I don't want it to be true. I believe that we all have to make a commitment to live our life according to truth or not, and we got to figure out what that truth is. So then we have finally the decision. We can reject that I and you were in need of some kind of solution to a problem. The problem is brought on by rebellion and sin in our life that requires justice. We recognize when you do something wrong, there is justice. There's, there needs to be something that deals with that. Or I can believe that there's a gift. 
There's something that God, the creator of God, who's also gracious and merciful, he has provided. It's a gift. It's a gracious solution to a problem. A problem is brought on by my rebellion and by my sin that requires justice. In fact, the Bible says what's required, the payment for our sin is death. Both physical and spiritual death are experienced by human beings, which is separation. You know, separation, death is separation. Death is when I die, I believe I don't cease to exist. I am separated, my immaterial separated from my physical body. That's physical death. The Bible says I also have spiritual death. Because of my sin, I am spiritually separated from God. And that's what I deserve, to spiritually be separated from God for all eternity. You and I deserve that. He's holy and perfect, and we've gone our own way. We deserve that. And that's what the Bible says. And it makes sense to me. But, but God, but God demonstrates his love for you and for me. And that while I was a sinner, he sent Jesus to die for me. Christ died for me and for you. (laughs) This seems to be the culmination of all the things I've been talking about. This is where... The message of the scripture goes. John says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, his only begotten son, for you and for me, for the whole world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is, this is the answer. People know this verse. In fact, I talked to an agnostic a couple of days ago. Went to lunch with him. He was telling me uh, he's an agnostic and we were talking through things. And then uh, I talked to some scripture and I mentioned this. He goes, well, I know that verse. I've heard that verse. People know this verse. They know agnostic, not a Christian, but he knows this verse. But I believe this is a culmination of all the things I've been talking about that leads to the fact that Jesus is the answer. He's the one that gave us opportunity to have eternal life. John 14 says, as I mentioned, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John, same guy who wrote that, said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. This believing, I want to finish with this. I know I've probably gone long trying to hurry through this. This believing, the Greek word, the Hebrew word, the English word, they're all very similar. It's not, it's not something special. Uh, belief and faith, those words, uh, we use them the same way that they've used them a long time ago. If I said, I believe in uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln, uh, but I don't believe in the tooth fairy. I'm saying I believe that this person existed. I don't believe this person exists. That's one way of using the word believe. And a lot of people use that when they talk about I believe in God. I believe he exists. I believe in Jesus. I believe he exists. They believe in that sense. There's another way we use believe. If I say, um, like, I believe in Scott Leaf. I believe in who he is. I believe he's a great teacher. I believe he's going to do a good job. I'm not saying when I say I believe in Scott that I believe that he exists. I'm saying I believe in him as a person and his ability and what he says he can do and what I think he can do, and I believe in that. That's the kind of belief the Bible talks about when we say we believe in Jesus. We believe in the person of Jesus. I use this example for a senator uh, who, was, who was going to prison, and he was Catholic, he was religious. He, before he went to prison, he went to the Catholic church to light candles and to pray, and so I knew he was religious, so I knew he believed that there was a God. And I knew he believed that religion was good for him. But I talked about this example. This is not new with me, but, and I believe it's real. You can look on the internet that says it's real. Um, but there's this guy named Blunden, B-L-U-N-D-I-N, last name Blunden, who was a tightrope walker, and he put a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he walked out on the tightrope and came back. He went out on there, and he apparently made some eggs or something and ate them and came back. And then he would go out and do different tricks. He took a wheelbarrow and went out and came back. And he filled the wheelbarrow full of a bunch of rocks and went out there and came back. And he says, how many of you think that I could put a man in here and go out? Oh, gosh, we've seen you do all that. Of course you can. All right, who's first? (laughs) He didn't get any hands. No hands are being raised. That demonstrates the two kinds of faith. Yeah, I believe you can do that. Oh, you want me to put that faith into you as a person and put my life in your hands. I'm not ready to do that. A lot of people believe 
and Jesus the first way. I believe he exists. I believe he's a good guy. I believe that he does wonderful things. I believe he's good for you. I even talk to him at times. But I believe that Jesus wants us to get in that wheelbarrow with him. That he wants to, us to recognize I'm putting my life in his hands and recognize I can't do this on my own. I can't get to God on my own. I can try all I want. I can try to be as good as I can. I can be religious as I can. But the only way to get to the Father is through him and getting in that wheelbarrow. Amen. Amen. You can applaud that. That is the best. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And I'm happy to say that Senator prayed to receive Christ and got in that wheelbarrow. In fact, he texted me after that and said, I can't wait to get my family and friends in that wheelbarrow with me. Let me close with this. If you've not gotten in that wheelbarrow, I want to give you a chance right now. Maybe you've heard some of this and you thought, you know, I've been working through this. I've been thinking through this. And I'm, I'm at that point. I have believed that there's a God. I believe that there's a Jesus. I believe this religious stuff, but I've not put my trust in Jesus. I'd like to do that right now. I want to give you that opportunity. So I'd like to everybody to bow your heads. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you say anything out loud if you don't want to. I want you to pray in your heart. It doesn't matter your words. It matters your heart. But if you're trying to figure out exactly what to say, let me give you some, some help. You can say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've gone my own way. I've done things my own way. I haven't done them right all the time. You can tell God that. That's just a confession. Just tell him. You know you're a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We're all sinful. Admit that to him. But then you can say, I want to receive what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. He died. He took your death in your place on the cross you can say I want to put my trust in that Jesus the one who died on the cross for me this Jesus that you're putting your trust in he rose again to show he has power over death to show he is who he said he is he lives today but just tell God you want to put your trust in that Jesus you want to get in that wheelbarrow put your life in his hands and recognize the only way to get to the Father is through trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. Nothing you can do. And in your own words, just tell him that. If you have prayed something like that and that's your heart, you can now say, Father, because the Bible, St. John that wrote John 3.16 says, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become a child of God. When you receive him, you become a child of God. He's your father. So you can say, Father, thank you. Don't thank you. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Make my life what you want it to be, what you created it for. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I would love the opportunity to talk with you. You can talk to Pastor David. Talk to Pastor Mark, other leaders here, whoever you feel comfortable with. That's the most important decision I think any person could ever make in their entire life. So if you made that decision, please tell somebody so they can help you on this journey. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you've done through creating us, through communicating to us, through giving us the truth, loving us enough, even when we thumbed our nose at you, and done our own thing, you still loved us and sent your son to die for us, to give us eternal life. Help us to live in light of that and to share that with others. Your son, Jesus' name I pray. Amen.